0: We pick up today uh, just a few verses from uh, Mark's Gospel at chapter 9 again this morning. We are just looking at verses 30 through 32. Uh, This is one of those uh, times where Jesus is really trying to make it clear what is coming down the road. Uh, We already noticed that uh, around the end of chapter 8 and 9 that Jesus focus went towards the cross, trying to instruct his disciples on what that's going to be, what that looks like, why it's why it's there, and to prepare them for that time. This is the second time he will instruct them on that, and those are the verses that we'll be looking at uh, this morning. So, uh, Mark chapter 9, at verse 30. to ask Him. May God give us wisdom this morning as we uh, seek to understand. Maybe we can be a little bit more clear than what the disciples seem to be uh, in their hearing of these words. There are a lot of uh, times in Scripture where there are more than one thing happening. Things happen simultaneously throughout Scripture. And uh, I wanted to... Uh, give you the illustration I, I've often thought of the things that happen in scripture in this way and it helps me make sense of things and I may have shared this concept before with you It's it's uh, it has to do with a hand and a glove uh, back in my landscaping and excavating days and that kind of thing uh, we would often wear gloves uh, when we're doing the work so we wouldn't get too terribly cut up especially if we're dealing with uh, sharp bushes and stuff like that, where you reach your hands in and and you pull your hand out and you've got cuts all over your hand. Uh, so we would do that there are There are professions that need to wear gloves for a very specific reason if you're if you're an electrician up on the pole, uh, you always have very protective gloves on uh, there's There's this uh, action that takes place you could you could do some of these things uh, without gloves, but it wouldn't be wise. Uh, you wouldn't want to touch uh, an electrical line without these protective gloves on. That would be often the end of you. There are those people that work with chemicals, and if you did the work with those chemicals without your gloves on, it would it would destroy your hands. Uh, now, we would wear them in, in working outside just so we don't get too annoyed by things, but sometimes it's absolutely critical that uh, gloves are worn in that. So whatever the hand does, the glove does as well. So you might be able to look at a a particular particular circumstance and see that the glove is actually doing what needs to be done, but it's also the hand inside. You can't have one without the other, and some of those you wouldn't want to have one without the other either. There are a lot of circumstances in Scripture where there are more than one thing happening, but they happen equally at the same time, but they don't oppose each other either. Uh, we try to make sense of some of these passages in Scripture where you see clearly what's happening except what we don't see is what's happening kind of behind it all. Maybe that hand-and-glove symmetry there where I see one part of it, but I don't see the other. I'm not trying to make a a perfect analogy as far as if if God is the hand and we're the glove or the other way around because you could make that fail uh, both ways. But to have them both happening at the same time and maybe when it's not recognized is, is where I'm trying to bring us this morning. Seeing something on the surface but not understanding what's going on as well is often where we find ourselves in different places in Scripture. And I hope that we can shed some light on that this morning. Uh, so going through our passage this morning, one of the things that Jesus says to his disciple is that uh, he's going to be handed over um, He's going to be delivered into the hands of men. And the way it is is the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men. That's one thing that Jesus wants His disciples to understand. Which is um, quite ironic, really, if you think about it, that um, you have this this play on words, and that's what they would have heard when, when they read this passage back then. This play on words where um, mankind... All of mankind would be against the Son of Man, the one that's now representing mankind. Mankind against itself almost. And then you have the, the Creator of all mankind and all of creation is against Him. This is, this is what Jesus is setting up for His disciples to try to understand what, what is coming down the road yet and trying to get them to see that so it helps them when the time comes. Uh, all of mankind. The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men. Now, you might look at that passage and you would think, well, he's talking about Judas, right? Judas is the one that's going to betray him. Judas has a part. Judas has a part in this uh, Jesus being delivered into the hands of men. We read some of that in uh, Mark already. Uh, Judas, his, his role in all this, back from chapter 3, uh, it says, when it mentions the 12 disciples, it mentions Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Obviously, Mark is writing this down after it all takes place and giving us a little bit of insight as to who the players are and describes Judas right from the get-go as the one who would betray him. And you see that one of Jesus' close disciples was going to be a part in this. He would also be a representative of all of mankind that would deliver Jesus over and truly he would do that in a very real and tangible way. And we'll see that as the story continues to unfold. Uh, John gives us uh, a little glimpse of that in his Gospel. Uh, John 13, 21, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, Truly I say to you, one of you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? It's an interesting question. Of the twelve inner disciples, there were many disciples, but the twelve chosen, they have to ask the question, who is it? Still hidden from them, what was going to happen? So they asked the question, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is He to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when He had dipped the morsel, He gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. The betrayal of Jesus, the handing Him over, would happen from the inner circle. That that chosen twelve, the betrayal would happen even at that close level to Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. The Jewish leaders uh, would also play a part uh, in this betrayal too. and we see we see that happening all along. you you read of that uh, in Mark eight, uh, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This is again Jesus re- reiterating. And now in our story, what he had already said just a little bit ago, that it would be the the religious leaders of the Jewish people, the scribes and the Pharisees and the leaders that would turn against Jesus as well. And the circle gets a little bit bigger. Now, not only does Judas, the first one that come to mind, uh, Play a part in this. Now you have that whole religious realm, the the religious leaders, the the scribes and Pharisees of the of the people of Israel. They also, and we know that we know that they play a part in handing Jesus over, delivering him up to be killed. That story is yet to be revealed to the to the disciples. But the ones that have been uh, tasked with preserving and guarding and advancing the truth are working against the truth as He stands among them. And the Pharisees would play a part in being against the Son of Man. Obviously, when the story continues to unfold, He's also uh, handed over by the political figures of the day as well. Uh, Pilate would play a part in handing him over. Herod has a role in all of this. And every one of these players along the way is, is delivering Jesus up to his death. But one of the things that uh, is in here that uh, what we in English probably don't understand is uh, this isn't specifically mentioned in an active way. Whenever you read of Judas, Judas actively betrayed him. The, the words that are used there is, is the action that Judas took or the actions of other people that they took against Jesus. But when it says the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men, that is a, a passive action there. It's, it's a different word used than when, G, when Judas betrayed him. Uh, similar in its in its word but one is one is a, Judas actively doing it and this one is a passive action against Jesus and that passive action which may surprise us is um, speaking of God. Somebody some would say that this is the uh, a divine a divine, uh, action against against his own son. But God has a, I was going to say that, maybe I could say that, God has a hand in this, going back to that that understanding of the hand-in-glove experience. God also has a role in handing over Jesus. I want to flush that out. Look at uh, Romans 8 with me. Paul remarks after the fact, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? God who did not spare His Son, but gave Him up for us. As much as Judas wanted to do that, as much as the religious leaders were uh, adamant about trying to make this happen, and as much as the political leaders of the day took a part in that, this was not at all outside of the sovereign control of God. God Himself hands over His Son into the hands of men. Now some, some might think of this and have referred to this idea of giving your Son to be crucified as uh, divine child abuse. Not even close to the truth. Not even close. This, this did not happen because God said, well, if, if nothing else is going to work, I'll give my son and you'll have to live with that. Look at Jesus' own place in this. In John 10, 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. This was not something that was going to happen against the will of Jesus. Even though he would wrestle in his own flesh with what was about to take place just before his own death, he was there as a willing participant in this. We remark sometimes, we remember those stories of the of the little boy who plays on the tracks, the train tracks, and his father is the 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 bridge conductor and all that. And the boy is playing by the bridge and the, the boy is underneath and he's caught in the tracks and the train is coming and it's a passenger train, a long passenger train with all kinds of people. And if the father doesn't pull the switch to put the bridge down and everything else, the train is going to go off and the son is going to be killed. If he does that, it, and he's in this dilemma, do I do this knowing that my son will die, or do I spare the rest of them? And he has to make the choice without his son's knowledge. That's not the story. This is not the story. Father and son are not uh, at odds with each other in our story at all. In the in the crucifixion of Jesus, father and son are perfectly on the same page. It is their divine plan together. So when you look at this and you hear that... Uh, the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men. God has a very particular role in this as well. This is this is the plan of God. This is the plan of God, the Father, and God, the Son. And so that whole thing comes uh, in that whole hand-in-glove experience as well. Everything. You see it happening on the surface with the people that are visible, but you also recognize that there are things happening Behind the scenes, that's the first thing that Jesus says to him: "The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men." And he says, uh, "They will kill him. They're going to kill him." This this uh, this would be something that they have to wrestle with. The disciples have already wrestled with this. Um, but when you look at when you look at those characters again that we've already seen in in the delivering over, uh, they each they each play a part in the killing. Judas' role uh, was under the influence of the devil, John 13:2. Now, when it was time for supper, this is before the uh, before the crucifixion and Jesus' arrest. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. The killing of Jesus came by the influence of the devil as it came into the life of Judas. The devil has a very clear purpose and plan in this and he was able to get to Judas to play a part in this. There is this other working behind the scenes that uh, can never be forgotten, that the enemy of our souls, the enemy of the kingdom is always working as well to try to undo God's plan. That was That's how he showed up in the garden when the devil was there in the form of the serpent. He wanted to undo God's perfect plan by giving the people a different option to seek wisdom and understanding when God was going to reveal that on his own. And now... Uh, Thousands of years later after that garden experience, the devil is still working on trying to undo God's plan through through whoever he can, including those that are close to Jesus. The Jewish leaders were constantly seeking to kill him. That was so clear uh, as the story continues to unfold that they had such a distaste for jesus that early on they wanted to see him put to death look at uh, john 5 this is why the jews were persecuting jesus because he was doing these things on the sabbath this was this was another one of those stumbling times for the jews and jesus and trying to understand what's right and true about what god has said in his word because they thought they understood the sabbath to mean these exact things and jesus and his disciples are Going against that, that's why the Jews were persecuting him, it says. But Jesus uh, said, I'm working, my my father's working and I'm working until now. uh, An interesting thing about the Sabbath, when the Sabbath question comes up, Jesus says, my father's working and I'm working. Food for thought. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. They just want him to, to leave the scene somehow and, and just disappear. As long as he was around, he was a, a real threat to their existence, to their understanding of, of God's plan. They were seeking to kill him. They play a role in it as well. But it also falls under that divine guidance. It's, it's not as if uh, the, the plan to deliver him over isn't again under that divine guidance that we were looking at. And so you look at uh, from Romans 8, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. This this had to happen. In God's eternal plan, this had to happen. As much as we might be outraged at uh, what's happening during the scene of Jesus' betrayal and trial and crucifixion and wish we could maybe undo that, that would be a failure on our part. This had to happen. They were going to kill him and God was also going to play a part in that. We see that also from uh, what we know to be uh, predicted about Jesus' death. As much as Jesus wants His disciples to understand what's going to happen, this isn't meant to be anything new for the disciples either. This isn't meant to take them by complete surprise. I do get how they don't quite understand how it's working out because their their, their thought about the coming kingdom was different. But there was this element all along in there as they would understand from from. Uh, the Old Testament scriptures, especially that uh, passage from Isaiah 53, that, that intense passage of uh, Jesus' crucifixion and death and his betrayal, the suffering. Look at that from uh, Isaiah 53:10. Just these words: "Yet it was the Lord; it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was God's will to crush His Son." Those are some of those things that I just don't fathom under, uh, completely. How, how a, a divine, loving God has the, the predetermined plan to crush His Son. And you know what that means. There was that same, that same idea coming already from the garden when, when sin entered into the existence of mankind and God made this eternal promise that the, there would be one coming and there's going to be conflict between the two. Between the enemy of our souls and the enemy of God's kingdom and the, the heir of the kingdom. And the one will strike at the heel of the other. The serpent will strike at Jesus but Jesus would crush the head of serpent. But in that, in order for that to happen, the father has to crush the son. Thinking back again at that railroad bridge scene again, this, this was God's plan to do that. Not a, now what do I do kind of moment. this was the plan of God. And the plan includes the death of his son. He had to be killed. Look at what it says in uh, uh, Hebrews 10. Uh, again, uh, Hebrews, if, you, if you're struggling to understand some of the things um, from the Old Testament... And you're trying to make it make sense in our context, in a, in a post-cross, post-resurrection era. Keep reviewing the book of Hebrews. It sheds light on things that we missed along the way often. The writer of Hebrews says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, the law was given for a purpose. and we've uh, when we're going through our bible reading plan we just we just kind of finished with all that law stuff all that was given for a purpose to to be a shadow of the things that were to come and then we would see their true form as it says it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near that that old law could never have the effect that is needed. Keeping the law wouldn't bring about perfection because nobody was able to do it. Otherwise, if if all of those sacrifices were necessary, otherwise they would not they would they would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscience consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. In that old system, there is a reminder of the sacrifices, a reminder of the sins all the time. It had to keep going. For, it says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. As much as that was the prescription of God for, for what the people of Israel needed to do to keep themselves within covenant faithfulness, To God, it was never going to be the way that it would be solved and cured and finalized. This was meant to keep them uh, in check until one would come on their behalf. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus had to be killed. In order to fulfill that perfect law that God had established to keep his people in check, Jesus would be the ultimate fulfillment of that. He would be the perfection, the completion, the fulfillment of that law. If, if a man would sin, blood needs to cover the sin. It had to be. That was the design of God. You see that already in the garden when, when Adam and Eve fell, God killed an animal, shed the animal's blood and covered Adam and Eve and made them acceptable again. This is the plan of God that continues to unfold in different ways throughout the ages and now Jesus comes and he has to be he has to be killed because this was going to fulfill what God had already established to be done. And then you have this time of waiting again wait 3 days. 3 days he's going to after 3 days after being killed he would rise again. This still is a, a puzzling idea for the disciples. Th- they understood this idea of rising from the dead. They got that part. What they don't understand yet, and they've already expressed, uh, they don't understand how this applies to Jesus because they were expecting uh, a judgment day resurrection. This is what the disciples knew. They they knew that there was going to be a time coming when this Jesus that they know and they're uh, learning more about They believe he's the one that would bring the resurrection at the end times. What they thought was, as he stood before them, they were at the end. They got this idea from the book of Daniel. Where Daniel says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. They knew from what Daniel had said that there would be this time where there would be this resurrection and that would be the final end of things. But now Jesus is speaking of this resurrection that it's going to happen to Him and they don't get that. Aren't you the political force that's going to take over the world and make all things right, right now? And Jesus is trying to help them in their understanding of that. Uh, 1 Corinthians sheds some light on why why the resurrection was also needed. As much as, as, much as uh, the deliverance of, of Jesus into the hands of men was going to happen, as much as uh, the killing of Jesus had to happen on so many different levels, the resurrection does as well. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. This is Paul again reflecting on this afterwards and this is what helps us today. For if the dead are not raised, there's this long debate, if you want to read about understanding the resurrection sit down um, especially between now and uh, Easter, Good Friday, the resurrection, all that spend some time read all of 1 Corinthians 15. It's a long chapter, but you can do it. If you've been reading along, you've you've done these uh 50, 60, 70 some chapter verses already. Read read 1 Corinthians 15 and look at how we're to understand the resurrection and, and and how that helps us in this life. For if the dead are not raised, Paul says, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If our hope in Jesus, especially in the death of Jesus, if His death only had something to do with this life, Paul says we are the most pitiable people. Our our understanding of the resurrection is that it is also absolutely critical to the eternal plan. The deliverance, the death are a part of that. The resurrection, without the resurrection, all of it leaves us still without hope. Because the victory that we sang of comes because Jesus conquers death. He he rose victorious from the grave. And so the rising, although the disciples seem to be struggling with exactly what that means, has to happen. As much as they would like to prevent all of it, and they do. They try to prevent what's going to come. Peter, being one of those that will just stand up and defend his Lord however he sees fit, will try to stop it by violence. And yet, it has to happen, and the resurrection has to happen. The three-day, the three-day wait, and what that means—that the three days in the grave and Jesus rising from the dead—the resurrection is the sign that that the Pharisees were asking for. You look at uh, Matthew sixteen. Um, Mark doesn't give us much insight into this. Mark is this again, this Reader's Digest commentary on on the life of Jesus in a very powerful uh, spiritual construct. But some of the other gospel writers give a little more detail. Matthew does that. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, he says, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. That that three-day wait for Jonah. Just when you think uh, everything was done for Jonah... When they threw him over the boat, three days later, Jonah comes back up. The, the sign that this group of Pharisees wanted when Jesus has done so many signs already, this is the sign that they would get. After three days, he's going to rise again. but is it clear yet? You know, the, the, the last verse there says, but they did not understand the saying and they were afraid to ask him. They didn't get it yet. Again, if you look at some of the other gospel accounts of this, it was hidden from them. It's not that they just didn't understand. They were not able to yet. Under the divine plan of God, he would not allow them to see yet. Some of those things we don't quite grasp either if if he's trying to get them to understand why doesn't he allow for that? But you have to understand the people that you're talking to as well if you have if you have a a, a people whose perspective is coming completely from the wrong direction and you give them more information, it would probably make it worse as as the death of Jesus comes closer and they're in the garden scene and Jesus is being betrayed by Judas. And Peter whips out his sword and he slashes off the ear of the high priest's servant. Peter still doesn't get it. This is not a political movement here. This is not going to be something that you can solve by violence. Uh, Oddly enough, violence would be the solution. The violent scourging of Jesus, the gruesome death of Jesus on the cross would be the solution though. But he had to do it, not Peter, not anybody else. Nobody could do it. It wasn't going to be a rising up against the political forces. It was going to be Jesus filling in for all of mankind and following the perfect will of his Father. They didn't understand. They didn't didn't get it. It doesn't seem clear. And they were afraid to ask. You know why? Why? They've asked before, Jesus rebukes them. Are you still so slow of understanding? Are you? I would be afraid to ask. But they don't understand. And fear takes over. And so they choose not to ask for more. It didn't make sense to them. Does it make sense to you? See, we live on uh, this side of the cross nearly 2,000 years after the cross event. We have, we have the rest of Scripture beyond this where, where the disciples continue the teaching of Jesus they were going to be the ones that would continue to carry on revealing the truth. He chose those that he would use for that. And they would carry on where Jesus left off. Jesus laid the groundwork, the foundation, at the cost of his own life. And they would carry on the teaching ministry of Jesus based on that foundation, they would bring insight and clarity to some of those things as as more could be understood because after the resurrection of Jesus his his time on earth was finished and so he left that work for his close disciples to take up and to continue to reveal what some of the depths of what Jesus had planted already so we live We live with the with the insight of all of that teaching after Jesus, including all the reasons why it was necessary for Jesus to get to that point. That's what we're doing in our our evening service. We're looking at the whole of the Old Testament in these larger chunks to see what's happening there. How do you make sense of it? Because obviously the people of the Old Testament they didn't get it. They failed miserably. as as difficult as it can be for people to understand when Jesus is walking among them, they didn't understand either when God walked among them in the form that He did. We have the whole of Scripture. We can can see the, the large themes flowing through Scripture and be able to put it all together. And we've grown up, many of us, for decades under the under the instruction of the living Word of God. Some of you have probably been sitting in a, in a seat like the one, and maybe some of you have been sitting in that same seat for 50, 60 years already. We have decades of, of history behind us, firmly rooted in the Word of God, and it should be clear to us but there are times where it still doesn't. We still have that association with the rest of mankind. We still fall under the the, the cloud of Adam even though uh, the the glory of Jesus is the way we really should be seen as believers in Jesus Christ. We still have times where we don't understand, but it should be really clear to us. But if there are times when it doesn't, don't fall into that uh, fearful mentality that the disciples did. Don't be afraid to ask. it's, It's meant to give us understanding and wisdom and comfort and joy and hope, all of those things. It's it's meant to be our our guiding path along the way. When you go back to the book of Proverbs again and you see wisdom as it lights the path, we have the advantage that the disciples didn't have. They're, they're living this experience not understanding how it makes any sense. It does to them afterwards. So much so that it puts their own lives at risk. They will continue to be a herald of the truth at the risk of their own lives. Not a made-up story. It's not something that they just conjured up to to keep a a fake story going. Nobody gives their lives, not all of them, for, for something that's not true. They would continue to do that. They did begin to understand more and more as time went by. And as they... Uh, gained insight and wisdom from God as they became the the herald of truth for the people around them. We ought to be um, with them in that place where we understand it makes sense to us. I don't I don't think we'll fathom the fullness of it, but we should be able to explain it. We should be able to explain how God had a hand in in delivering His own Son to be. Killed, which was absolutely necessary and why He needed to stay in the ground for as long as He did and why we have such hope because He's not there anymore. It should be clear to us. And I pray that God gives us the wisdom in these days ahead of us as we, as we look forward to what the cross will mean for us. As we get closer to Good Friday where we meditate on The pain and the suffering. The hope you and I have is not absent from the pain and suffering. It was the determined plan of God to be that way. And so as painful as those kinds of experiences are for us to remember, they help complete the picture in our own hearts and minds so that we can bring that hope to other people. If we would just uh, throw up our hands. Well, I don't, I don't really understand it, but I, I've, I've got blind faith anyway. That's, that's not the kind of faith we have. We have faith because we understand the, the plan of God. We have faith because we see how God works it out exactly when Isaiah speaks of something 700 years before and Jesus carries it out exactly before they ever knew that He would be the one at this particular time, in that particular place. We have all of that benefit already, brothers and sisters. And I hope that the road ahead is clear for you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we think about just a few short words from Jesus, he will be delivered into the hands of men, he will be killed, and he will rise again after three days. all of Scripture before paved the road for that experience. The necessity of why that was happening is clearly laid out on the road behind. And so give us the wisdom that we seek to be able to put the pieces of everything that came before into what Jesus would have to do. And then help us to understand so we can bring hope to a world that that doesn't understand that this isn't cosmic child abuse or that it isn't just some made-up story to help the weak of mind to get through a difficult life. Help us to understand the story so completely, so clearly, and be able to articulate that so that we can um, answer back with the reason that we have hope, even when it's hope that finds its way through suffering and death. So Jesus, we are in awe of your uh, place in that story. You stood representing all of mankind. We know that on you was laid all of that sin. As much as we know that our own sin weighs us down at times, it's unimaginable for us to think of what that weight of sin felt like on you. The sin of all mankind so we're thankful that you were a willing player in that story that you would stand in for us, for me. So that I wouldn't feel the wrath of the Father. So that I wouldn't uh, be cursed to live in the ground forever. So thank you for uh, bringing clarity to us. And we pray that your spirit that lives within us that Holy Spirit would take the words that we have heard again, use them to shape us, shape not only our, our own personal lives, but the way we reflect Jesus to the world around us. Thank you for visiting with us again today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.